It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Hey there, welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner, Living Worth Wealth Advisors. We're online at livingworth.com. We're going to be talking about the death of the dollar. Lots of question marks at the end of that statement. So yeah, this is going to be an interesting conversation, one that'll be unique and I think very revealing and educational on the show today too. So I can't wait to dive into all of that, Brian. But first, uh, just to check in, a hello. How are you doing, my friend? Doing well, doing well. But uh, you sound like maybe you're not 100%. Do I sound just slightly under the weather? Yeah, maybe just little, a little, little bit. A little congested, it, maybe. My first COVID, brush with COVID in, in three years, Brian, finally succumbed to it. So I'm about I'm about uh, 10 or 11 days out So from, from infection and or from symptoms onsetting, mm-hmm. I suppose. So feeling pretty much all better, just still sounding kind of bad. But Energy-wise, did you have like a draggy recovery or are you bounding back quickly. I'd say there was a full five or six days where it was a lot of effort just to get off the couch or yep. move around or something yep. like that, you know. So it was definitely a long uh, a long couple of days of recovering. Uh, it was weird. My wife got just like the sore throat. That was all she got. Mm-hmm. Now, it was bad sore throat, but that was her one symptom. And through everything, I never got the sore throat, but I had all of the other symptoms you can imagine from loss of taste to chills and flu-like symptoms mm-hmm. and a headache that didn't go away for three or four days and cough and everything else. And I've, I've got the lingering little nasally stuff going on. So it's kind of interesting. We had two totally different experiences overall. It gets the best of us. I'm just super amazed that it, uh, it it took three years to have your first encounter with it. So I know it's doing something well, right with Connie being a nurse practitioner. I guess she she keeps us pretty clean around the house and with good habits and those kinds of things. So that probably helped over time. So yeah. It was really funny, actually. I had just gotten her to kind of relax a little bit in some of her masking and uh, in some of her attention to detail and care. And, and and we were traveling, and boom, right after she relaxes on everything, she gets it. So she was definitely giving me a little evil eye, like, that. this is why mm-hmm. I wear a mask. It's all your fault. Yep, it's <laughs> all like, your you fault. You were going to get it eventually. This is bad timing. <laughs> yeah. So it uh, it is what it is, but we're all good. And uh, you've got uh, some exciting things coming up in the in the future, right? You've been eyeing uh, the the value of some uh, some tickets you purchased recently. Man, I, I am lamenting <laughs> what has turned out to be my best purchase or investment ever. And we're talking about a five x return in just a matter of months. Oh man! But the lamentation comes from the fact that I can't sell. And these are the Taylor Swift tickets. You, the uh, quote-unquote other buyers aren't agreeing to sell? The, the other stakeholders. stakeholders. I would not call yeah, them not buyers. buyers. <laughs> They're stakeholders. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they've gone up five times. We paid uh, just shy of $2,000, which is ridiculous for six tickets. And uh, I could go on Ticketmaster today and sell them for about $10,000. It's just stunning that there's that many people out there willing to pay that much to, to go wow. see a show. It's insane. And this whole tour, I think they're estimated is going to gross about a billion and a half. And I, but by my rough math, I figured that they sold at least seven to 800 million in tickets on primary sales. And if mine are going for five times that, uh, they've left a tremendous amount of money on the table from what they uh, could have commanded. But yeah, I've, I've offered the girls, uh, if we sold them, we could go take a whole week to the Caribbean or we could buy, you know, all kinds of stuff. And this is just like one of those so iconic of a moment and, and they want to be a part of the 
you know, the culture that's happening right now that nope, nope, whatever, whatever I've offered, they all want to go to, to Taylor Swift and they've got all their outfits picked out. We know what we're going to wear and we're going to drive up and take, take in the whole, the whole spectacle. So it'll be nice. It, it'll be fun. It's kind, kind of like the, uh, I didn't realize how epic it was at the time, but in 1984, I did get to see Prince's closing concert in Minneapolis for the Purple Rain Tour. Uh, it was Christmas Eve afternoon, late late afternoon, early evening, and uh, it was an amazing show. I just didn't realize how, what would you call it, iconic mm. it would be looking back. So I, I, th- this will hopefully be the same thing for them. Probably ended up being one of the cooler things that you've done over your years, being being present. I, I got to keep my cool dad points. Yep, I got to keep my cool dad points going. There you go. Well, you're in pretty good shape in that category, I suppose, with those Taylor Swift tickets. So uh, enjoy that show as it approaches, and uh, try not to think too much about how you could flip those very easily uh, for a nice little sum. And boy, you could go on a nice trip with all with all those uh, profits. I would imagine shore that. up a college fund, buy a car. Oh yeah, don't. I've done. I've done <laughs> ten laps around this already. All right, we'll stop doing that math. We'll stop that. <laughs> uh, speaking of doing the math, let's get into uh, today's show, Brian. So, death of the dollar. Interesting topic this week. Are you getting a lot of questions about this? Uh, why do you want to address that this month? I, I'm seeing a lot of headlines, newspaper articles. YouTube videos, social media posts. It just seems like it's everywhere. And it's always been lurking out there a little bit because, uh, and and we'll talk about how how we got to the position we're in, but the dollar is the dominant world currency. But China has risen. They're now the second largest economy in the world. Uh, Russia, because of their maneuvers into Ukraine, got shut out of the, they, they got some of their, Current their uh, foreign reserves frozen and uh, basically shut out of the the Western banking system. So all kinds of these things have been going on. That now China is get trying to get together with Russia and some other countries and and create a new reserve currency or basically conducting some foreign trade in in an alternative currency. And so you're seeing these headlines. TRT World News, which is a, a Turkish world. You know, why is the U.S. dollar's reserve currency no longer privileged? Uh, Fox had a very similarly ominous. Could the dollar lose its reserve currency status to China? And you know, China's like the the, the big boogeyman now that uh, everybody's getting whipped up into. Are we going to go to war with them? Are they going to take over Taiwan? Or have we got the trade imbalance that we've had for so long? And and so I think people. I don't know if people are putting these out there to get clicks and likes and attract viewers to their shows, or if they, I think some of them genuinely believe, you know, what they're, what they're saying. And so uh, Charles Schwab and Reuters and others have come out. And so one of the, one of the, if you dig a little bit deeper, I think if you see some of these clickbaity headlines and these, you know, that's why I titled the, the podcast death of the dollar. And, but I did put a bunch of question marks behind it. But um, you know, Reuters says why the dollar keeps winning in the global economy, and it goes through you know a lot of the metrics of of why the dollar continues to be strong. And uh, Schwab started with a headline that said, "Will the U.S. dollar be dethroned?" But the content of the article is actually you know very supportive of the dollar. So it's uh, it's, it's just interesting to see what all's out there. I don't know if other people have run across it, but I, I think it's an interesting topic, and it goes it ties into a topic or an area that I think people are generally concerned about. 
and that is what's happening with China, Russia, uh, and maybe some of the other countries involved. Definitely feel like it's it's the latest iteration of uh, of sort of the boogeyman, you know, kind of argument, right? Like just always sort of, oh, this is going to be the crushing force that hits us. But then one other big news events, it kind of fades to the background. And then when those news events wrap up, this sort of rises back up again. But now there's actual concern, I suppose, over at least the thing I keep saying is so-and-so's, you know, disassociating from the dollar or whatever that verbiage is. And a lot of that fervor is getting stoked, it seems, on social media and I, I got to be honest with you, Brian, whenever I see that kind of stuff, I'm like, all right, I, I'm beyond my depth here. I don't really know what I should freak out over and what I shouldn't and what's just noise. Um, mm-hmm. As with a lot of topics on social media that you try to follow and become a mini expert on in a span of a couple of minutes. So I don't know, can you provide some more clarity around just this this whole discussion for us today? Yeah, well, hopefully uh, some clarity. But uh, it, it, what's interesting to me, too, is there, there's a lot of people out there that hate the U.S. or they they hate the power of the U.S. and even Americans that, you know, they, they're always griping about global hegemony and uh, the U.S., you know, bullying everybody and all this kind of stuff. Well, the very people who are normally, you know, very negative towards America or critical of America, they're even the ones that are like, oh, look at us screwing up. We're, you know, we're destroying the dollar and we're losing our status and or look at what China and Russia are doing to to get together to and Saudi Arabia is cooperating. Oh, this is the end. They they dislike America's power, but once we just lose a little bit of it, or perceive to lose a little bit of it, that's where I think a lot of this is just they're they're going for the looks, or the clicks and the likes and the views and all that kind of stuff. So uh, no, the, the first thing I wanted to do was just take a look back and say, you know, why is the dollar so powerful over the you know century and millennia? Different currencies have been the you know, kind of the standard, if not around the world, at least regionally. And you have to go back to uh, World War II. After World War II, the world was a mess. You know, Japan had been defeated. Europe was had fallen apart. Uh, I guess you could argue that the British pound at the time was the world currency. The British Empire was still you know, fairly intact and um, powerful navy, all the, all the different things that you would need from a world power. And so so the, the British pound was was basically the standard for centuries, probably had a, a longer run than, than most other currencies, maybe even, yeah, I'd have to check, go back and see if it was millennia, but, you know, definitely many, many centuries that the British pound has, has prevailed. Well, after World War II, to help stabilize global trade, the U.S. did a, a couple of things. One, they, they set out about patrolling the world's oceans to make world, world trade and, and commerce safe and and uh, squash any local skirmishes and and infighting that you'd typically seen you know prior to World War II. But they also had an agreement called the Bretton Woods system. Does that ring a bell? Have you ever heard of the the Bretton Woods Accords? No no bells rung, no. Mm-mm. Okay. So we, we may have to go back in the history books for this. And, okay. and I won't we won't do a deep dive, but basically and this is oversimplifying, but at at the end of World War II to make global trade easier and and more efficient, they pegged several uh, other foreign currencies to the U.S. dollar, and then they tied the U.S. dollar to gold. You've you've certainly heard of the gold standard. Sure, yes. Okay, so so from end of World War II up until the early 70s, the dollar was tied to gold and other currencies were tied to the dollar. And that's what really put in place that the dollar became the navigation point that became the 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 base of all the other 
you know, certainly European calculations on on currencies. Uh, Japan obviously was a big one. So so anyway, in the early seventies, Nixon took us off of the gold standard. But by then, uh, another phenomenon called the petrodollar had morphed into place. And and again, I won't go into the the details of that. But basically, all oil transactions across the world were conducted in dollars. And so through this combination of pegging to the to gold and then tying other currencies to the dollar and then all oil tr uh, transactions happening in dollars, the dollar grew into this world force that was also backed up by the power of the US. You know, we had giant economy, we had a massive navy and and enforcement power to this. And and so over time, even though we got off the gold standard. And I think the one thing that they're really pecking at now or pointing to now to say that, oh, this is the end of the dollar is if you get Saudi Arabia, Russia, China, India, South Africa, Brazil, I mean, whoever else you want to throw in there, they've got a lot of, uh, a couple of those countries have a lot of energy and oil reserves. And a couple of those countries need a lot of that stuff. So it, it could look like there's this move away from the U.S. dollar. Understandably, these countries have a vested interest in making their own currency more powerful and, and having people conduct trade in it. And the simple fact of the matter is, with China growing to be the second largest economy in the world, it's not unreasonable to think that you would have a maybe a regional trading block like that. Maybe it is fine that the U.S. doesn't have to police the entire world doesn't have to provide the financial lubricant, if you will, to to the whole global economy. There's certainly some advantages to it, but you know there's a lot of cost to it as well. And so to think that um, you know we've gone from let's call it eighty percent of international reserves and, and transactions were conducted in dollars. It, it might have only been like eh, maybe maybe seventy percent, seventy eighty percent somewhere in there. Today, 60% of all central bank reserves are still in US dollars. 20% are in euros and the yen and the pound each account for about 5%. So what we're talking about with the, ch the Chinese yuan is we're down to like the low single digits to what, what's actually happening here. So immediately the idea that the dollar has been toppled and we're losing our influence and power, it, it's laughable uh, because, you know, nobody's writing headlines that the European Union is creating this trade block that's going to topple the U.S. dollar. No, it's it's actually a very respected currency. The euro, it's got its problems. It's not as good as the U.S. dollar. And we'll, we'll see, you know, just how long it holds up and, and, and lasts. But, uh, you know, nobody's writing these kind of articles about the euro. And I would argue that the European countries involved are far more advanced free economies, things like that, that would be, you know, good trading partners, far more important than, uh, you know, Russia, China get, grabs the headline because they're, they're just so big. And if you look at the yen and the pound, the pound has definitely diminished uh, in, in global power over the years, but it's still a very respectable currency. The yen, I don't think anybody is scared of Japan, you know, trying to topple the, the dominance of the dollar. In fact, they're, th these are all allies of the U.S. and it's benefiting those countries to be an ally uh, of the U.S. And, and conduct business in, Euro, in, in dollars as well. So from a technical standpoint, so let's ask, why is the dollar so dominant? 
Well, there's certain things that you have to be able to do with a currency if you want to provide this, we'll call it a financial lubricant to, to the economy. And you have to let it be free to float. So you hear about the dollar, the value of the dollar is going up, the dollar, the value, value of the dollar is going down, exchange rates, ebb and flow. That you just have to let happen. You, you can't worry too much about trying to control your currency, manipulate your currency or peg your currency. You truly have to be free market about it. Uh, you have to have enough of it to go around. You know, so certainly you have to have uh, literally trillions of dollars to to, to just kind of get the wheels and the gears of, of this uh, world spinning. And then you have to have the force and the, and the power to back it up. All right. So I mentioned earlier a little, a little bit about uh, naval power and uh, the ability to protect trade and and uh, choke points around the world. There, you know, the Suez Canal and is an example. The Persian Gulf, uh, the Straits of Malacca. There, there, there's several points around the world where one country, if, it, there, if there was a regional flare up or something, uh, and we saw this back in the '80s with um, I think it was Iran and, and Iraq. Maybe we're at war. Obviously. It, I think we all recall that, but I think they were shooting down some ships in the Persian Gulf and Reagan sent a couple of aircraft carriers over there to basically say, yeah, we're not having this. And uh, if, if you don't have the power to, to, to shut stuff like that down, then you could have a, a regional flare up that you know could, could put a halt to trade pretty quickly. So the U.S. is not powerful because of our currency. Our currency is powerful because the U.S. is powerful economically, militarily, freedom of float and, and letting the money you know, come and go from the country. We don't have currency restrictions and controls. If you want to pack up your dollars and leave, you can. If you want to convert them to another currency, you can. There, there's no real restrictions on all that. So all of those things work in the dollar's favor. And despite all the abuse that we uh, uh, subject the dollar to, $32 trillion in debt. And Janet Yellen says we want to take it to $50 trillion. Fabulous. I, I don't understand how that's a good idea. Wasting massive amounts on military conflicts. You know, 20 years in Afghanistan was a bit much, what we were doing in Iraq. And of course, now with all the you know, $100 billion that we've sent to Ukraine, those don't seem like good uses of dollars and resources. And, um, you know, it, it certainly is inflicting a lot of potential inflation onto the dollar. But in spite of all that, the U.S. dollar is still better run and better managed than every other currency out there. So, you know, step one is the dollar is powerful. There's some of the reasons why. And uh, despite our best attempts to inflict damage on it, it's still holding up very well compared to, to the rest of the world. A lot of good benefits there, and uh, as usual, it seems like the answer is uh, the sky's not falling, or at least is not not as much as people make it seem in uh, in the media. Uh, but for all of these negative headlines, it's got me thinking, Brian, that we're at least maybe doing something wrong here, or there at least are some things that are right in these articles, or reason to have maybe not panic, but pause for concern or cause for concern. So, are we doing anything anything wrong, or anything that you see needs to be addressed? Well, you know, so let's let's take a look at it from China's perspective. And I, I've always had concerns about China, very authoritarian regime. They've uh, you know definitely seem to have ambitions to you know, be a world power, and e even if it's just a delusion in their mind that that is um, 
definitely their talk and, and seems to be the, the, the culture of, of the government there. But like I said, it, it's now the world's second largest economy. And then the Ukrainian issue caused Russia to basically have about $640 billion worth of foreign assets frozen. So, so here you've got China, this huge economy that needs a lot of energy. They, they need a lot of oil and, and gas and, and China's in Russia are fairly close together. So you can see why Russia is turning to China. They're, they're trying to make an, an ally there. And uh, Saudi Arabia is getting involved. So, so Saudi Arabia recently announced that they're going to participate in this. Uh, and, and I think what Saudi Arabia is doing is looking at China's demand for energy going forward is going to be huge. And so maybe they would do well to have an ally in China. If you pair that with the uh, shale oil discoveries here in the U.S., have you heard much about that, Walter? The shale discoveries? No. I don't mm -hmm. think that's uh, gone, gone up in the ranks of recognition for me. Yeah, it, it, to me, I, it's like I'd heard of it. You, you've heard of all the fracking and the horizontal drilling and all this stuff and, and energy independence that we had there for a little while when, when Trump was in office. Like, well, what happened to that? Or what was that all about? Well, it turns out all of the oil exploration techniques that we've developed, we've found massive amounts of gas and oil, very, very clean uh, oil, that are very clean or pure to process and, and, and convert all over the, up in the Northeast, Midwest, West, a uh, little bit up into, into Canada, but all along the you know, central part of the U.S. Where, where we've got rivers, pipelines, ability to move all this, the U.S. could be energy independent tomorrow. And I, th I think once the green energy dream, Green New Deal dreamers realize that solar and, and wind and all these things aren't going to immediately solve, at least at, at their state of technology today, aren't going to solve all of our immediate energy needs, we do have this amazing reserve right here in the U.S. that we can tap into for massive amounts of, of cheap energy. Uh, the natural gas is actually one of the lowest carbon generating uh, fuel sources out there. Obviously, nuclear is, is a zero carbon producer, but everybody villainizes nuclear for a variety of reasons. So um, if we were to get into a situation where we lighten up regulations, get some of these, you remember the, the Keystone pipeline that, that you do remember that sure, headline, absolutely. Like it was yeah. gone, then it was off and it was on, then it was off. And that, that was going to bring, uh, oil from the Alberta, were they, uh, uh, oil sands, whatever. So, so again, a, a much more, uh, complex distillation process for, for that, uh, type of stuff. But here in the U S we've got massive uh, energy capabilities and, uh, Saudi Arabia may be saying the U.S. may not have to buy from us as much in the future. Maybe, maybe this other uh, country that's very, very dependent on on imported energy. Maybe we should make friends with them. So, just to wrap all that up, the, the whole economy has morphed since World War II. Like the the global situation, size of countries, health of countries has progressed. And so I don't think it is necessary that we have to cling to the idea that the U.S. is the world's babysitter. We're not you know, the one that has to provide for stability in every other one of these countries and regions. And yeah, at the end of the day, if they, um, if, if they can make a go of it, 
I wish them luck. I don't put a whole lot of confidence into those countries, though. Hmm. Interesting how you kind of take all of these different layers and, and pieces of uh, analysis to try and you know sort through these complex issues like the U.S. dollar. Is it the death of it? Where's the truth in the conversation? And uh, where's the hyperbole? And uh, a pretty good job of, of breaking that all down and kind of some eye-opening facts, I think, kind of embedded in all of this with uh, regards to the energy stuff and the, the strength of the country kind of leading the currency rather than the other way around. So what other things would you think we should focus on as we hear more and more about this debate? I think just another reality check is to ask yourself, of these competing countries and of these currencies, A, which of them would you like to own yourself? And which of these other countries is going to let the other one be the chosen currency amongst them? Okay. Russia? Who wants rubles? You want some rubles right now? Walter, I'll, I'll pass. Want to, to convert your 401k into rubles? <laughs> Don't feel so confident about those. No. Yeah. Oh, how about yuan? You go to China, they you know, they do currency controls. They they peg their currency within a very short trading range to help their export economy. They put currency controls on do, on yuan leaving the country because anytime they open up the window for money to leave China, all the millionaires and billionaires pick up tons of money and they go buy properties in Canada and the US, you know, all, all up and down the West Coast and you know, British Columbia, they'll buy million dollar properties, not because they think they're going to make a ton of money on it, but because they think, well, if I, if I move a million out of China and, and into Canada and buy a piece of property on a bad day, I could sell it for half a million dollars and I would still at least have a mil- half a million dollars. Whereas they don't even have confidence in their currency or their ability to move and, and do what they want with it. So, so nobody wants these currencies. Brazil, you know, the inflation, go, go look at their track record on inflation and, and tell me how much of their currency you want. India, you know, same thing. If you gave me the choice of would, would you rather have dollars, euros, yen, British pounds, Swiss francs, sure, I'll take any of those. But if you give me Indian rupees, Chinese yuan, Russian rubles, or South African rand. I don't want any of those currencies. So the only people that this benefits are the people that are the the countries and the big companies and, and governments involved in this trade. And again, I don't think any of them are ever going to agree to let China be the one or India be the one. And, and they, they all want to. So I, th- I think this is a lot of show on their part. And, um, you know, China is also, it's not a really a free economy. It's very much a copycat economy. They aren't the innovators of all the cool stuff in the world because that requires capital. That requires access to capital. Well, they squash billionaires that get too sassy. If you want to read an interesting story, you know, go, go ch- take a look at Jack Ma. He was flying high and billionaire and uh, was about to come up with an IPO on his new financial company. And He's literally just dropped off the radar and they, yeah. they, they squashed his IPO and all that stuff. So no people with serious money are going to take it to China and say, hey, this is where I want to invest. This is where I want to create the next great thing. That's all going to come to the U.S. They've also got demographic decline, very authoritarian regimes, and uh, of course, no real naval power. So yeah, at, at the end of the day, I, I can't see people wanting or adopting this in in a big and serious way that threatens the dollar. 
all great breakdowns uh, on the show today here, Brian. Uh, good final thoughts on everything. Anything else that we should uh, kind of uh, drop here at the end of the episode to have people kind of on the lookout for? Just for fun, I will point out, please go look at a chart of Bitcoin for the last couple of months. Because here, while all this, while the dollar is being toppled and the you know China and Russia are taking over the world, and the banks here in the U.S., uh, especially those that were supportive of crypto, were were, were targeted and some um, you know even you know basically run out of, out of business because of liquidity concerns. In the midst of all of this, Bitcoin has rallied. So if people thought Bitcoin was under attack or dead or going by the wayside. Maybe, maybe it's not China and Russia, India and Brazil, and whoever else, South Africa. Maybe the, the future is Bitcoin. Interesting. Yeah. Looking at the chart right now, you can see a definite increase over the last couple of, uh, they're in there maybe fourth, fourth big spike over the years after a long drought from the real big ones that we saw back in the uh, pandemic. So yeah, def- def- definitely not at its peak, but uh, I just found it very interesting that, um, I expected Bitcoin to continue dropping in the midst of all that. And it actually, I don't know if it quite, uh, quite it's probably up like 50, 50% or so, 50, 60%. I don't, I'm not advocating that you go buy Bitcoin. I'm not suggesting that that's the, definitely the place to be. But I, I found it very, very interesting in the midst of all this other Absolutely. talk. Very cool. Well, there you have it. Uh, great breakdown today. The death of the dollar sounds like the simple answer there is is no, Brian. And uh, it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Reasons why. That's perfect. Well, very good. Uh, hey, if you're listening to today's show, and I hope it was helpful and informative for you, and if you're thinking about the broader picture of your financial and retirement planning and need to work with somebody who has expertise uh, helping people reach and get all the way through their retirement years with success, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to Brian Doe and the team at Living Worth Wealth Advisors. If you want to do anything like prioritizing your financial goals or planning for where and how to save, or if you want help with investment management, or all those things combined, you can meet with Brian, who is a certified financial planner uh, with more than 20 years of experience. Uh, If you don't know, a certified financial planner certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning and that CFP professionals meet rigorous education, training, and ethical standards, and they're committed to serving clients' best interests today and preparing you for a more secure tomorrow. Brian's been through this business before, seen all the ups and downs that the market can throw at you, and knows how to plan in and around that kind of environment. So if you do want to set up a time to chat with Brian and get into a little bit more depth about your specific situation, here's the best way to get started. Call or go online and book a free 15-minute complimentary call with Brian. See how you can get some clarity around those goals and your future. You can go to livingworth.com and click book a call. Again, livingworth.com and click book a call or just dial 706-451-9800. That's 706-451-9800. And you can schedule your time to visit from there as well. So yeah, Brian, uh, you know, we had lots of things today from the death of the dollar uh, to Taylor Swift tickets to Bitcoin. Which one are you investing in? Bitcoin, Taylor Swift tickets or the dollar? From here on Taylor out. Swift definitely. Well, I definitely have some dollars, and um, <laughs> and then I've Taylor made Swift a all the way. <laughs> huge, huge percentage return on Taylor Swift, and uh, I'm curiously eyeing Bitcoin. How about that? There you go. There you go. I love it. Good breakdown. Uh, thanks, Brian. Appreciate all the help, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up next month. 
Sounds great. Thanks, Walter. All right. Thank you. And we'll see everybody next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.